the Lysol made me think of something. And I think it's funny. I'll find out later, I guess. A few years back, I was mopping at the house. Uh, we don't live far from here. I don't know if you guys realize that. But anyway, um, I like to use vinegar to mop. Well, Allison does not like vinegar. So she said, here, put this essential oil in it. Well, it was thieves. I learned very quickly, I didn't like thieves, so I thought we had a good balance going on here. When I mopped, all she could smell was vinegar, and all I could smell was the thieves. Isn't that just life, how that goes, right? And uh, I think it fits well because we all end up having our own preferences, our own ideas about things, our own allergies. I'm really sensitive to flowery scents, and sometimes if I can smell you coming, I wave to you. Um, and it's, it is personal, but it's not. It's my issue, not yours. Um, and so, you know, when you get into uh, different things that are, make our bodies um, react differently, you can see that we all have our own um, preferences, we all have our own allergies, right? Our bodies all do different things. Uh, they all perform the same basic functions, of course, but when you get down to it, uh, we, we are all created equally, but we're all created differently, right? God has made us, as it says in the Psalms, fearfully and wonderfully. And we are created as individuals, and sometimes, because of that, when you go to do something, it's not going to work out well for the other person. It's not going to be it. I mean, the choices you make aren't necessarily going to be things that uh, somebody else would do. For instance, today, I wear a red shirt, not just because Valentine's Day is Tuesday, but to show you who I'm not rooting for in the game later. <laughs> I'm not really rooting for the red team, but I'm definitely not rooting for the green team. Okay, so, and, and some of you are going, how could you possibly? It's just preference, right? We all get our different tastes and things. I seldom wear orange for many reasons. Anyway, um, so the, uh, partially because I end up looking like one. So, anyway, we turned to, uh, we, we finally concluded Joseph last week. And uh, this week we're going to uh, look at some different things for a little while before we dive into the book of Acts. I don't typically do topical things very often, but I do think there's things we should return to as the church, as the body of Christ, periodically, to remember who we are and whose we are. And so uh, today... Uh, and, and I've done it, and I wrote it in the bulletin, I don't remember how many times I've used this little book as an outline for, um, for Sunday messages, but it's called I Am a Church Member. It's about 10 years old. Uh, it was published uh, through Lifeway, which is our publishing company at Southern Baptist, uh, written by the former president of Lifeway, Tom Rayner. And I, uh, I still listen to some podcasts he does. He's retired from his work with Lifeway, but he does, still does a lot of ministry work. This is not very long. It's about 60 pages. By my Kindle, it says it takes me about 30 minutes to read it. There's not a lot of length to this, but there's a tremendous amount of depth. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a practical idea about uh, how we better serve 
as a unified body. And it's called I Am a Church Member. And he's got a new book called I Am a Christian. I think it's probably pretty similar. Because I don't think you can be, well, you could technically be a church member. I don't think you can be a member of the body of Christ, though, without being a Christian. Right? And then we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, There are six chapters in the book. Today I'm going to dwell on the first. Next week I'll probably dwell on the next couple. Um, and then uh, just work through it over the next few weeks as we look at what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and serving and worshiping our Lord and Savior. Um, It's not rocket science, but I need the reminder, which probably means so do you. That's the way it rolls. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll be in the last five verses there. And we'll also look at chapter 13 along the way. Probably some verses you've seen before. Let's stand together as we read the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Lord, help us to understand that more excellent way in serving and blessing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've studied 1 Corinthians at all, we went through 2 Corinthians several years ago now during a period of uh, this, what happened a couple of years ago? Uh, COVID, that's what happened. I remember sitting here, Jamie and I and whoever else might be in the room, it's usually me and Jamie. Jamie had a camera, I was sitting on a stool and I was, you know, sometimes I was just preaching to the camera, Jamie had to be at work or something. Anyway, I remember 2 Corinthians pretty well. We have not been through 1 Corinthians, the church family, but we've been through chunks of it. And there's a lot about the life of the church within 1 Corinthians. One of the things you learn about the Corinthian church is that they were messed up. (laughs) Messed up. There were big problems there. And I wouldn't want any of the kinds of problems they end up dealing with. And the, the problems there were significant enough that some of them are hard to interpret how it works out in modern life. Because they had some really weird things going on. Uh, Just go read the first several chapters later today, but between the now and that game you might watch later. There's some weird things that happen. So Paul, towards the end of it, draws it back together and says, these are the things you need in organizing because of all the different problems you have. And I'm thankful that in, our, in the churches I've gotten to serve in, while we might have our issues, and it didn't have some of those issues. Because, man, there were some problems. Now, there are churches that do. I'm not going to say that this church has never had any of those issues either. But 
there's some crazy things that happened in 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 12, Paul brings about talking about spiritual gifts. And he uses a pretty ridiculous illustration in verses 21 through 25. And we talked a little bit about that earlier with the kids. An eye can't be a foot. They don't do the same things. And they must serve one another. Right? If you just see things, it's going to be a pretty discouraging existence. Because you might see something that needs to be fixed, and you can't do anything about it. Yet, if you don't have eyes attached to your feet and the foot takes off, you're going to kick something really hard because you can't see. I kick stuff really hard anyway, and I did see, right? But, you know, walk through your house in the dark and move one piece of furniture and see what happens, right? It's painful. It can be. So we see all these different things that Paul, Paul shows us that to think of each other because we all have a way to serve. And he deals with a lot of those things in chapter 14. We're not going to dive into chapter 14 today. He deals with a lot of ways that they were manifesting poorly in the church there and said this is, these are the kinds of things that need to be dealt with and why. And it, there's some controversial things in there too. And people kind of get, their, get, get the hair on their neck to stand up when he starts talking about some of those things. But what we find here is that God has different jobs for everybody. And I would even contend that he has different jobs for everybody in different times in their life. Because I think about my body dealing with you know, recovery from surgery about a year and a half ago, which was not a pleasant experience for anyone, in, me or anyone in my family, or probably you either if you were around, because I'm not a very patient patient. You guys know anybody like that? When one part of your body is not working right, what happens to the rest of it? Becomes a slave to the rest of it, and not in a good way. And I think about, like, as I was growing up, sitting by my mom in church while my dad was singing in the choir and maybe leading music at different times or doing other things, and... I don't know what my brother was doing. You saw him last week. I still don't know what he does. But, you know, it was always me sitting by mom in church. And I was doing a lot of listening. And I'd sing along. And I'd, and I'd pray at the time of invitation. And I'd do all those kinds of things. And I wonder, what's my job? And then God revealed to me slowly along the way, you know, I want you to be in ministry. And that changed through the years too. Got different jobs than I used to have. And even in this job, I end up doing different things than I thought I was doing before. You know, it, it, our role changes with time and experience, and frankly, with age. I mean, age matters on some of these things. I can tell you, I've never been a fast runner, ever. They called me plod in football practice, okay? And they were being funny. Everybody goes, oh, that's mean. Okay, whatever. You never on a football team if you think that was mean. But I remember running the 40-yard dash when I was in eighth grade, and all my friends, light as a feather, just five seconds, four, nine, that, and then I got up there, 8.3, <laughs> and I was 13 years old. I mean, it wasn't like I was, you know, I'd, anyway, never been fast, still not, but different kinds of issues than I used to have. I'm even slower than I used to be, 
right? That's the way it kind of works sometimes within the different parts in our bodies. Our, our bodies change, and we, we have a different function for different things, and, and, and we have to compensate in different ways. And it happens in the body of Christ by people coming and going and, and living and, and going to be with the Lord. And, you know, you may have never thought that you would do this job. And then the person who did this job for a long time passes away. And guess what? Somebody needs to do that. The body of Christ changes within its manifestation on earth. Our Savior does not. And He is the one that empowers us with different tasks along the way. Now you are the body of Christ, verse 27 says, individually and individually members of it. He uses that comparison to remind us that maybe your hands make a big difference within ministry. Or maybe you see things that I miss. Or maybe you can get there faster than somebody else can. Or maybe you're part of the, of the furnace room of it and the prayer team. Because I can tell you right now, not much happens without that. God gives us different tasks for different seasons. And sometimes when you've been talking a lot, and I've had this moment, I still talk a lot, but I've had this moment, when, when you've been talking a lot, He tells you to shut your mouth. And sometimes it happens. And you know what? He's Lord. And I've found with this idea, very Baptistic idea of soul, S-O-U-L, responsibility, that if we are empowering our church to learn the Word of God, it becomes a lot easier to recognize those moments as they happen. Remember in Acts, when Saul and, and Barnabas started their journey? Who was it that told them it was time to go and be missionaries? Do you remember? It was the church. The church commissioned them for that task. The work of the Holy Spirit was upon those men to go for a special season of proclaiming the good news in a place that had no clue what was going on. And who did God empower to send them? The church. So we are all part of the body of Christ and individually members of it. I've been a part of a couple of different ordination services along the way, and I remember one of the things that was said at mine by my pastor, who, our, our, our seminary pastor, Jerry Lewis, not that Jerry Lewis, a different one. <laughs> Hello! Anyway, um, if you've met Jerry, anyway. So, um, anyway, one of the things he said about that moment in my life, and I've seen in others, was that that was a moment of affirmation from the church of the call that God had placed on my life, on my wife's life, on others to serve. Does that make sense? The church is who recognizes the, the, the people that have gifts like this. Now, we're always accountable to the Word of God. And they may be very charismatic people as far as being willing to speak and willing to do things, and then they open their mouths. And you realize they didn't read this book first. 
We're always accountable to the Word of God. Anyway, God has appointed in the church first apostles. The way I see that, the way many around me see that, is in the missionary call, someone that is sent forth to go and start works in places where they don't exist today. Second prophets, that would be people who speak God's truth, maybe recognize some things that work in the world that God has something to say about, but it always comes back to God's Word. Third, teachers. We have those people in our church. Some people who are doing it and some people who have done it maybe taken a rest. Then, let's see, I lost my track there. Then miracles, then gifts of healing. We call those more charismatic gifts. I do believe that God calls us to pray for those who need healing. And we may not see the things the way we saw them and perhaps in the Gospels and stuff like that in our lives, but I have seen testimony of God's healing work on people. God is at work. Helping. Man, we got a lot of helpers in our church. We got a lot of people who serve like that. Administrating, which is an awkward word, but people who are good at organizing, good at then listing people to do things. And then various kinds of tongues. Don't get lost on that one. Some of you just went, oh, there's a lot of ways that can be interpreted. One of them would be as controversially as discussed in Baptist life as a private prayer language. But as we see in 1 Corinthians 14, what Paul calls here tongues and prophecy, he says are to be exercised for the strengthening or the edification of the church. And it must, again, always line up with God's truth. And, and I really think, I, I know people who have the gift of tongues, people who can learn languages in order to proclaim the gospel. I also think that we could possibly see an Acts 2 kind of experience. Somebody might just start throwing rocks at me now. But what happened in Acts chapter 2? The, God, the disciples spoke the word, and everybody heard it in their own language. That'd be cool. Are we going to discount the work of the Holy Spirit? By the way, just in case you were wondering, those of you who know what this word means, I am not a cessationist. Okay? Again, I'm watching dodging rocks, maybe. But earnestly, it says these are not the best thing. Earnestly desire the greater or the higher gifts. So God has put us together at the body, as the body of Christ, and he calls us to serve one another. And we all have different talents, different seasons of, of usefulness, different ways he's called us to serve in that moment. And he calls us to do what we should for him in that time and place where we are. And again, that may be different for you now than it was even a year ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever. But God is the author of all of that. Part two of that is, have you ever heard the statement that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman? Anybody heard that? God doesn't force us to obey him. 
So together as his children, as the body of Christ, he calls us to submit to him and submit to one another the gifts in which he has empowered in us. And that, my friends, is the local church. And that's why membership in the body of Christ matters. As we get to know one another, as we learn God's word together, we might see something rise in ourselves. We might see something rise in somebody else that we can bring attention to. Why? Because the same spirit that dwells in me dwells in you if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. And He is the one that empowers us to serve Him. And so it all comes down to, frankly, humility. And realizing that we have been bought with a price. Now I've entitled this message today, The Privileges of Adoption. Those are two trigger words in our culture, by the way. <laughs> Yay! Contra controversy! No. Okay. Privilege is a legitimate statement. It's a real word. And the, and the comparison that, that Rainer uses here is comparing a church to a country club. Now, I've never been in a country club, but I've been in several churches. In a country club, when you pay your dues, you get certain privileges. Uh, he uses this picture of the small town he grew up in, and he could go, and once his family had membership in this, he could go up to the counter at the concession or whatever was there and ask for a cheeseburger, and they just gave it to him. And some of us treat churches like country clubs. That because I am a member there, I deserve this or that. The problem is, that's not in the Bible. When we are a member of the body of Christ, as it is described here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are called to, to serve our master. We are the body of Christ. And every part of the body, as it says in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 1, I was going 1 Corinthians, Colossians chapter 1, every part of the body is accountable to the head. That is who? Christ. So, our desire as a church, our desires as individual believers should be holy, humble submission to the one who paid the price for our sin. We serve a master who loves us to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when he rose, he gave us the seal of his promise. And what is that? The Holy Spirit. And so in the Old Testament, we'd see the Holy Spirit come upon individuals. In the New Testament, we see it come upon who? The church, the body. So if you know Christ, the Spirit is in you. That's pretty cool, right? 
So the privilege that we have is then as adopted children. Why does adoption matter? That's been spoken from this place here, and people have gotten mad at the person who spoke it. Not necessarily me, but I saw it happen. Adoption? Yuck! Here's the deal. Is that if you're not adopted by God, you're not saved. Go read Romans chapter 11. Romans, in, in, those, in those areas in there. When we have been, cho- we, that we have been chosen, being adopted to be chosen by our Savior. And we have been adopted as children according to the promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that fulfillment is Jesus. And unless you're a Jew or Jewish, you got to be adopted. If that, if you follow that line completely, salvation, though, put this comma over here, has always been by faith by those who trust in God, even for the Jews. He just chose to do it through them. So how does it all work out then? Well, I want to share first three quotes that Rainer says here that show he kind of has a get-off-my-lawn attitude about this in this book. You guys know what I mean? I've been that guy. Yeah, get out here. Anyway, first of all, it says membership means that we are all necessary parts of the whole. I've had hand injuries. There are people in this room right now that have, had hand injury, have current hand injuries. How hard is it to work without your dominant hand? <laughs> All right? Just keep slapping yourself, right? Number two, do you know how to... He asked a question. No, I'm going to come back to that. Come back to that. 1 Corinthians 13. This is the privilege of adoption. Right here. If, we, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up all my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So he just discounted everything he just listed at the end of chapter 12. Right? You can do all this stuff, but without love, it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter. He has some pretty vivid imagery here, too. When do we usually hear this passage? Valentine's Day. A couple days off. And marriages, weddings, things like that. What is the context of this passage? You can speak back. I don't mind. The church. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And chances are you've probably had a poster in your house or a picture that had something like that on it. It's a beautiful image. And now he gives them some warnings. Love never ends. 
As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. In order to fully live out what God desires to do through our giftings that he lists off in chapter 12 and returns to in chapter 14, although these chapters weren't there, right, when he wrote it, I think I'll start a new chapter here. No, that's not the way he wrote it. It's a letter. He inserts this in the middle of it and reminds us that we can have all the amazing abilities we want to have, but there's a reason for it. And ultimately, it's to love Christ. And if we look at the great commandment, what is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we ask the question in Luke, right? The, the, the Pharisees, but who is my neighbor? You remember the story that happened then? The Good Samaritan? Even the people that wear the bad perfume. I'm glad somebody laughed at that because that's what I meant. It's to be funny. I appreciate it. You might, you might need you up in the balcony like the guys in the Muppets. You up there? Be good. Sorry. Okay. All right. God calls us as the body of Christ to love genuinely, to love sacrificially. And ultimately, to humbly submit our lives to the head that is Christ. Church membership matters because it shows who we belong to. And it shows that we are accountable to one another as the body of Christ. It matters. And we talk about church membership here. One of the, the things with church membership that we, we talk about frequently within the life of our church is that we want anybody who's teaching the Bible to be a covenanted member of our church. And that is to be accountable to one another, to teach truth, to, to serve the way we should. That's one of the primary ways. Yes, we can serve in other ways. That's fine. But ultimately, it comes back to biblical church membership. What does it mean? It means that we are loving and serving one another, submitting to the Lord and to each other in love. Do you know how to remain a member of a... Of a uh, sorry, this is Rainer's question. Do you know how to remain a biblical member of a church? It's pretty simple, but also not easy. Give, abundant, give abundantly and serve without hesitation. We who are church members are all supposed to function in the church. The concept of an inactive church member is an oxymoron. Biblically, no such church member really exists. If you don't know how you can serve, maybe you haven't asked the right questions. Maybe if we see somebody across the aisle from us who's saying, what can you give? Is giving just finances? 
No, I'm thankful for everybody who gives. Absolutely. But giving is who you are. We give a small portion of everything that God has given to us. We're borrowing everything we have on earth, guys. Even if you've owned your house free and clear for 30 years, it's not going to be yours when you're gone. And so when we trust Christ, we recognize that He has called us to a special, special relationship in His body. And the question is, have you fully given yourself to Him? And in that, do you serve Him in His church? Ultimately, the task of the church is the Great Commission. But where we build each other up is, is together. And we made a cute logo. Jamie and I found this old picture. I, I don't remember who drew it. I think it might have been Richard Hargraves, but it could have been somebody else and for our, our logo. It's in your bulletins this morning. It's a beautiful drawing of our church facility. Yeah, there it is. It's going to be up there a few times. It's a great image. But that's not the church. It's us. That's just this. It's just a few stones, some sticks of wood, some wiring. I'm glad we have it. But Christ didn't die for this building. He died for you. How will we respond to his call? Let's pray. Our Lord, you are so good to us. You are so faithful. You are so kind. You are so patient. Love is patience and kind. And we all have ways to serve better. Lord, I just pray we trust you more. As we come to this time of response, I pray that you give us the courage to walk with you, to trust you, and to bless you. And be reminded that with all of the things going on in our world, we need to make it about you. Help us to grow in your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing and respond.